we're going to continue on from last week, and we're going to learn how to see the Bible through the lens of the Torah, or to see life, see the world through the lens of the Torah. Amen? And last week I shared with you about the, the first five books of the Bible. Many Christians ignore the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. We go right to Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, and that's awesome. We, we should all start there, but it's not the foundation. The foundation of the Word of God is the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. The Jews call, another name for the Torah, the word Torah means instruction, but it's called a humash. Can you say humash? humash. It means the five. And then from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, which is called the, uh, the Pentateuch, means means the five as well. So the, the humash is in Hebrew, Pentateuch is, is in Greek, but they both, both words mean five, right? And five meaning the five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Amen? Amen. And many, the, 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 more, the more of the Torah you have in you, the more of the five books of Moses that you have in you, the easier it's going to be for you to comprehend the entire Bible. From all the way from Joshua to Malachi, Matthew, all the way to Revelation. It will bring the entire Word of God to life for you. Amen? Now, um, last week I gave you the analogy of a, of a doctor. Did I say, I don't remember, did I say that here last Thursday evening? The analogy, I mean, how many of you would go to see a doctor that has not completed medical school and has not gone through residency? If you would, if, if you would go to see a physician without medical school and without, res, without residency, raise your hand if you'd go to see that person for treatment. And I'm glad I didn't see a single hand go up. But yet, that's how we study the Word of God. We study the Word of God without having that foundation. And, of course, it will, it, will, it will bless your life, but you're not getting the depths that God wants to give you. And I'll give you an, an example of something unrelated to the Bible. In, in the field that I work in, because um, you asked me earlier what, what I do for a living. I'm in the computer networking field. Now, one thing I learned very early on in my career, that there's a certain model of a framework that networks are built upon. It's a, it's a conceptual model. You start the physical layer, then you go all the way up to the application. So, and everything that I learned in my field related back to that model, to that framework. So, the, so I was able to excel in areas because I had that foundation. But for those that did not have that framework, they really struggled. And I, I, and I use that same concept when I study the Word of God. If I'm not understanding what Jeremiah is saying, if I'm not understanding Isaiah, if I'm not understanding the sayings of Jesus, it's because there's a lack of understanding in the framework of the Bible. And the framework is the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in Hebrew, Bereshit, Shemot, Vayikra, Bamidbar, and Devarim. Amen. Does that all, does that make sense to all of you? Yes. Right. So the first, the five books of Moses are the foundation of the entire Bible. And the and, and I'm gonna over these next several weeks, I'm just gonna keep building on that foundation because there's so much I want to. There's so much the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to all of us. And even when I'm teaching, I'm learning more while I'm teaching than what I'm learning when I'm studying because the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Amen. He's the one that's releasing his his holy word to us. Now, just to, just to quickly reiterate what, what I shared last week with you all. Yesterday, I shared with you that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Yeah. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And last week, I tried to eliminate the misconception in our understanding that the God of the New Testament is merciful and the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And God the Son, Jesus, is just, just as much God as God the Father and God the, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen? We believe, we believe in the Holy Trinity. And the attributes, God's attributes of mercy and justice are a part of his character. One of the Hebrew names for God is Elohim. Can you say Elohim? Elohim. Elohim, in Genesis 1.1, it reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God used in Genesis 1.1 is the name Elohim, because when God created the heavens and the earth, he created... He created these creations using the name Elohim, the name that denotes God's strict justice. So all the planets operate in a certain manner. The moon orbits the earth. The earth orbits the sun in over a one-year period. All, everything that operates in the world, as far as the, and the planets and the universe, is established by the name Elohim. They were created by God's strict justice, and they can't deviate from God's plan. Amen? Tomorrow, the, the moon will not decide, I'm, I'm going to go orbit Saturn. Because it doesn't have free will. Right? It operates under the name of justice. Another name for God, and there are many names for God in the Bible, is the name Elohim Adonai. Can you say that with me? Elohim Adonai. Translates as Lord God, used in Genesis 1.26, and, and, and where he says, God said, let us make man in our image. When God created mankind, he created mankind with the name Elohim Adonai. The, uh, the, which means the Lord God, and it denotes God's attribute of mercy. So when God created Adam and Eve, He created mankind with mercy in mind. Because God knew that Adam and Eve would blow it. God knew that each and every one of us would blow it. But through that name, we have forgiveness. Amen? And, 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 and He's created us with repentance. He's given us the gift of repentance. Many of us take repentance for granted, but repentance is a gift from God. And King David, it lays down the blueprint of perfect repentance to all generations. Amen? And through our prayers, God's name Elohim is, trans is transformed into Elohim Adonai in our lives. Because God, will, God deals with us with His mercy. Amen? And when we pray, God hears us. Remember how I told you that God, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Mm -hmm. I shared with you scriptures that... I, I shared scriptures of judgment in the New Testament. Acts chapter 12, verse 21. On an, on an appointed day, Herod put on royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and made an or or oration to them, and the people shouted, the voice of a God and not a man. Immediately, actually, if I don't want to say amen to this, because the, the people were not saying this to God, they were saying this to Herod the king. And the people shouted, the voice of a God and not a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord smote him because he did not give glory to God. Now, is Acts in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Right, do, and do are we see what are we are we seeing? What attribute do we see portrayed shown here? Judgment, judgment right? So we see judgment in the New Testament, mm -hmm. and then people say that the God of the Old Testament, and I don't like to say the term Old Testament; it's better to say Tanakh. They say the God of the Old Testament is is so judgmental. 
Well, that's not true either. Exodus 34, verse 6, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So what do you see here in the Hebrew Scriptures? You see God's mercy, right? So you're going to see God's mercy and God's judgment throughout the Scriptures. But God leads with the attribute of His mercy. Aren't you glad that God deals with us Amen. in His mercy? Yeah. He's so slow to anger. He's so slow to anger. Sometimes He waits years before He even deals with us. Because he, He's waiting for us to repent. God waited almost an entire year for David to repent of his sin. It was almost a year before God sent the prophet Nathan to rebuke David. You, you see God, even God's mercy with, with the king. Yeah. And, let's see here, I'm gonna, now I'm going to, uh, the rest of the teaching you can, you can get off the CD or off the, off the Facebook broadcast from last week. Now, coming into this week's teaching, I want to talk to you about the third day. Can you all say the third day? The third day, and actually before I talk about the third day, I want to talk to you about a calendar. If you, let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. This is not part of my, my notes tonight, but let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. And I'll, I'll, I'll turn there with you. And I'll, and I'll, I'll go ahead and read a, I'll read a few of these verses to you. In, and, and in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? Then verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Then verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Do you all see that? We, we have light. But then there's something very strange here in this reading. Because Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. So... We see a light created, and the light's good. But then we get to verse 5, God calls the light day, and he, calls the, and he calls the darkness night. And then we get to verse 6, he says, let there, be a, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, separating the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and separated the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. Yeah. Notice up to this point, we don't, we, don't, we, we, we don't see the sun and the moon yet. So how can we have a day and a night if the sun and moon are, are, are not yet there? And then verse 10, God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And then it go, and in, in day four is when we see... And God, verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for a sign and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So the light, the, what I want to show you here is the light that we see in Genesis 1-3 is not the same light that we see in, in coming after Genesis 1.14. Do, do you all see that? Yes. And then I, 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 I want to show you there is no, there's, there is no, um, what's, what's the word? 
You know, we always say science doesn't agree with, with the Bible. I, I want to show you that science is catching up to the Bible. Because God always had it right. Amen. Amen? God knew the earth wasn't flat. And whenever the scriptures talks about the four corners of the earth, it's not talking about four physical corners. Whenever you see four corners in the Bible, it's, it's a representation of holiness. The four corners of the earth, meaning that the earth will become a holy habitation for God. The four corners of the priest's garment, speaking about the holiness of, 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 of the priestly garments. The four is always a reference to, to holiness, sometimes a reference to God's glory. Amen? We need to understand these symbols in the Word of God. And this, this is an, an argument that we've been having for years and years. How old is the universe? Is it 6,000 years old? I mean, you know, how long did it take God to create the heavens and the earth? Did it take billions of years? Or did it take seven days? Or six days, because the seventh day is a day of rest. How many of you say, and please be honest with me, because I, I just want I just want to know where everybody's at. And if you're watching online, I'd encourage you. If you don't mind, just write in the notes what your opinion is, and 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 because I'd love to read your I'd love to read your thoughts afterward. Is how old? I mean, how many days did it take God to create the heavens and the earth? For those of you that say six literal twenty-four hour days, please raise your hand. I knew Sister Margaret raised her hand. Awesome. And I uh, did I see your hand, Sister? Halfway. Okay. All right, that's all right. So I see, uh, can you raise your hands really high? Please don't be shy. All right, one, two, three, four, five, I think. Five and a half, because some of the hands are floating there. Uh, so I can't, really, I can't really tell. How many of you believe that, you know, the, 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 how many of you believe that God took billions of years, 14, 15 billion years to create the universe? Please raise your hand. So I see um, about... Two hands. All right. Brother Robert, how long did it take God to create the heavens and the earth? Six, six days or 14, 15 billion years? Give or take a few million. Ever since the world was created, nine million. Wow. Thank you, Attorney Robert. So, all righty. Well, I'm going to show you how long it took. From God's, per none of you answered it wrong. Most of you didn't, didn't didn't raise your hand. Both answers are correct because from the place where God spoke it, it was seven seven days, twenty four hours a day. A thousand years is like a day to God, yeah. right? God doesn't. God is not limited to our calendar. So when when God and God said and God said and God said, I I, I believe those are twenty four hour periods. Mm -hmm. But from the place where God said it to where we receive it, it could have taken billions of years. Mm -hmm. So because we we have we have proof of of fossils in the earth, we, we have records of that the earth is. It's really billions, uh, billions, the universe is billions of years old, 13 point something billion years old, which, which I, 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 I break it down in the, in the book, The Final Countdown. But it, it, it's, it's, from our perspective, it's billions of years old. And each day, from Earth's perspective, is not the same duration. Because after each day, the days got shorter. 
And so day, day one was probably many billions of years. We have no frame of reference of day one. We have no concept. Because man was not created until the sixth day. And from the time God created Adam and Eve, it has been almost 6,000 almost 6, years since God created Adam and Eve. Exactly what year are we on the Hebrew calendar? 5,779, right? So it has been, now you're going to hear many different opinions that don't agree with what I'm telling you. And, and that's fine. I want to share my opinion with you, and I want to encourage all of you to do your own studies, your own research, and, 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 see, and see where you go with this. Yeah. Einstein's theory proves the Bible. And Einstein's theory of relativity is not a theory anymore. It's a proven fact. Because depending on where you are in the universe, time is moving at different speeds. I don't know how many of you saw the movie Interstellar, but in, 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 of course it's, it's science fiction, but, but the concepts of relativity are, 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 are accurate. I think I'd ask Brother Jim to even share that with us, but it, it, depending on the size of a planet, the gravitational pull, it, it, um, you'll, if, if you were living on Jupiter, you would age at a different rate than if you're living here on Earth. Because the greater the gravi gravitation, and, and the, the, the slower you're going to age. So if, you, if, you, if, if you've ever taken high school physics, if you had a twin brother or sister that grew up on Jupiter, and you were to have a FaceTime call, you would find that the, the one on Jupiter is aging much more slowly than, than your t the other twin that's here on Earth. And, and the Bible, and, and it is perfectly, science is in total alignment with the Word of God. Amen. Amen? There is no discrepancy. Now, I, and I'm going to try and prove this to you a little bit more. It, it wasn't till the mid part of the 20th century, or maybe the, the, the first part of the 20th century, that all physicists, most physicists believe the universe had no beginning. And they believe that time went back forever and ever and ever. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that time had a beginning. And many of the great rabbinic commentators have, uh, have also taught in the oral Torah that time has a beginning. Time began when God said, let there be light. That's when, that is when time began. And time does not go back forever and ever. God created time so that we could exist and that our universe could exist. God is not limited by time. God can exist in time or outside of time. He's, he's omniscient. He's everywhere. He's not, he's not limited by the barrier of time. Amen? Yeah. And these are concepts that were already in the Torah, in the Word of God, even before, we have, we, even before science came to believe it. Because scientists always believed time went back forever and ever. And that was my opinion as well. It's like, how can, I kept thinking, well, before that thing, there was something else. And before God created the heavens and the earth, there was something else. But that's not true, because time is created. Just as you and I are created, time is, is created. But God does not need time to exist, because God is eternal. Amen? God is not limited by this timeline. Now, don't ask me about time travel. Don't ask me about multiverse, because I, I I'm not even going to go there. But all I know is that God is not limited by time. And I did not come here in a, um, a DeLorean. I, well, so I, 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 can't, I can't prove anything to you as far as time travel goes. I'm not even going to try. 
but I, but Einstein do, did pro, did prove that Einstein's equation of E equals mc squared is correct, and it's an it is an alignment with the Word of God. And our concept of time, our concept begins in day six, because we don't know how long day one was, we don't know how long day two was, we don't know. I mean, uh, it's my opinion that the dinosaurs were created sometime in day six. I believe day six probably lasted millions of years even before Adam and Eve were created. But we can't measure that time. We can only take you know, geological records and, 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 and calculate. But the way our measurement of time began somewhere in day six, and we are still living in day six. Because remember, God spoke it, but it took, it, it took maybe billions of years before it took effect where we are here on earth. And then the seventh day, because God already spoke it and God rested the seventh day, right? The seventh day will not get to us until Messiah returns. When Christ Jesus establishes his reign on the earth, that will usher in the seventh day. So God, from God's perspective, it's all finished. It is finished. And Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. So it, 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 it is finished. But from our perspective, it's going to take time. We don't know when Jesus is coming. We, we know that he's going to shorten the days. And, and, and all of us Christians and Jews, we are expecting the coming of Messiah. We as Christians believe that Yeshua, that Jesus is the Messiah. But when he comes, we'll, we will be with him. Amen? And actually, we'll be caught up in the sky to meet him, and then we'll return to the earth with him, and then he'll reign, he'll reign for, for a thousand years. And then Satan will be released from the abyss for a short period of time, and he'll deceive the nations one more time. And then he'll be cast into the eternal lake of fire. And then God will destroy this earth, and will and, and create a, a new earth. Amen? And a new temple will come down from Jerusalem. But this temple and city, it's like a, a temple city because the entire city is a temple and that's the new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven. There, there is a, there's a rabbinic commentary. I don't remember where I read this. I think I heard it, actually I heard it from Rabbi Ian Schaefer on yutorah.org and he's, he's, he, he, was, he was actually quoting one rabbinic commentary that said the, fourth the third temple will not be built, it will come down from heaven. And it lines up in Revelation. That the, the, I don't know if there'll be three or four temples, but I, all I know is that the final temple will come down from heaven. Amen. All right? Amen. The, the next thing I want, I want to talk to you about is when you read all the teachings of Jesus, what style of preaching did Jesus use? Parables. Exactly. Let's all say it together because you're correct. Parables. parables. Jesus spoke in parables. Now, speaking in parables... Was a, was a rabbinic style of giving messages. And the beauty of parables is that you can speak to people of all different spiritual and intellectual and ages, all different levels. So I, if I spoke a parable to you, guess what? I could have a five-year-old child here and that child would understand the simple meaning of that story. And then I could have somebody like um, Rabbits and Terry here, one of the greatest rabbinic sages in this room, and she would understand it, understand it at a very lofty spiritual level. Of course, I'm joking about that. 
No, not really. It's true. So, but she would she would understand it at, a, at a, and actually she would she would understand it at a much deeper level because she's been studying Torah probably since the since the eighties for a very long time. So she will grasp it at a much deeper level. You see that, and that's the beauty of parables is that it can speak to people of all different levels. It, and I, I believe delivering messages in, 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 in parable form is one of the most difficult things to do. I pray that one day I'll have that skill, but right, right now, you, you'll just have to put up with my jokes right now, but I, can't, I, I don't know how to deliver a message in, in parable form. Genesis chapter 1 was written by Moses in the form of a parable. So there's many things going on here, but depending on your level of understanding, your level of understanding of prophecy, your level of understanding um, uh, the scriptures and, and rabbinic commentary, it, it will determine how deep you can go with it. So I'm going to try and take you a little bit deeper. Now, everything that we read in the Bible must be read in context. The things I'm sharing with you right now uh, is, uh, is a concept I learned from Dr. Corral at her, at her Monday night MST services. So when you read scripture, actually she's, she's been teaching like this for many years, when you read the Word of God, when you study the Word of God, you must study it in context. So every verse is interpreted by the verses above it. So we must take things in context. So everything that you read in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, you have to go back to Genesis 1 1 to understand it. Verse 3, you have to go back to the previous verses. But the, 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 all the context goes back to Genesis 1, 1. Alright? Now, in our English Bibles, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the RSV translation, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's actually a more accurate translation, because there are multiple heavens and one earth. Alright? If you go to the, uh, to the Jewish translations, it will give you even more accurate translation, and it says, in the beginning of God's creation of the heavens and the earth. So it doesn't say, because when we read this, it looks like all the creation is done in Genesis 1-1. We think it's finished, don't we? But now, if you were to take a... Actually, no, I won't use a cooking analogy because I do a horrible job at them. If you, take our, if you take the King James Bible, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So in that translation, we see God created one heaven and one earth, right? Yes. And it's all done in one, one, Genesis 1-1, one, one, correct? Yes. Then if you, if you, if you take the, um, the Hebrew Bible, it says, In the beginning of God's creation of the heavens and the earth. So the way that reads to me is, this is... The, this is in the next several verses, I'm going to show you how God created the heavens and the earth. So it's not complete in one one because one one is telling us how it's going to be, how the creation's going to take take place. That is the opinion that I accept. If your opinion is that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, then you would accept that there's one heaven and one earth, and you would, you would ask the question, what happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2? We had this conversation last night in, in the green room after the service. And if your opinion is that everything was finished in Genesis 1-1, then you're going to wonder what took place 
between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Because in, in Genesis 1-1, everything's beautiful and God doesn't create anything that's not beautiful, that's not perfect, right? And then in 1-2, we see the earth without form and void. What took place here? Was there, was, there, was, there, was there a nuclear war that took place? What took place here that caused a destruction? And, and what, what commentators have come up with is a theory known as the gap theory. And the gap theory sta states, I'm just going to summarize it, is something took place between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, and Satan and his angels, or Lucifer and his angels, uh, rebelled against God, and one third of one third of God's angels joined Lucifer and, and caused a destruction in the earth. Right. So and that and 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 it goes on and on and on and on. I've I've done so much digging through rabbinic commentary, and with within the Jewish sources, I have not read anywhere about anything that sounds like a, sounds like a gap theory. So it's my opinion. That the gap, uh, I, in my, it's my opinion that the gap theory is not true. My opinion is, and it lines up with the Jewish translation of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning of God's creation of the heavens and the earth, is Genesis 1-1 is telling us what is about to take place, right? And the heavens, in plural, mean there, there is more than one spiritual realm. There are many levels to the spiritual realm. And, but there's one earth. And, and the heavens is a reference to all the spiritual realms. The earth is a, is a representation of all the physical creation. Not just the earth, it's in reference to the entire universe. All the physical creation took place. In addition, I'm going to share something with you. It's is telling us that if you, follow, if you just follow my thought for a moment, and the, one, one, the beauty about studying Torah is you can all have differing arguments and not beat, not beat each other up because you don't agree with one another. So Terry's not going to take her sword out and, and, and attack her sister Marilyn because she has a differing opinion. Because we, when you study Torah, it, it, it is okay to have differing opinions. In our Christian um, mindset, we think we all have to agree 100% on everything. But you know, but there, there's, there, there is a beauty in studying the Word of God from different angles. Because through each angle, you're going to receive different revelations. Some of you, uh, I see a few of you look very puzzled right now, but I, I, just, I just want you to bear with me for a moment. I'm not going to stay here forever. And this was probably the most controversial thing I'll ever teach in, in my teaching, so it, it shouldn't be too bad. So God, so what's going to take place is, and Moses is brilliant in the way he articulates this parable. So, in the next several verses, Moses is going to show us the creation of the spiritual realm, and at the same time, the creation of the physical realm. It's absolutely brilliant what's taking place here. Now, and then it says in verse 2, the earth was without form and void. Now, how many of you believe that God is limited? Please raise your hand. How many of you believe that God has no limits? How many of you believe that, see, and, and so the, what took place is God had to create a finite universe in order for mankind to exist. Mankind could not exist in the realm that God was in, in the realm of eternity. A realm where God's infinite light filled all of his reality. So God had to create, in a sense, 
a, a finite place, a place with limitation, called the universe, so that we could exist. Because mankind, whether you're here on earth or whether you go to heaven, you're still in limited form. Angels and humans and animals, all of God's creation are limited creations. Only God is without limitation. Amen? So he had to create a finite universe in order for mankind to, ex to exist. So, so as he begins to create, and this is, this is where I believe we're about to experience the Big Bang taking place. I do believe that a Big Bang did take place. The earth was without form. So if you, if you, study, if you study physics, the creation of the universe began with an infinitely small speck. And all the substance of the entire universe was in that mind, in that speck. And then in verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So in the physical creation, the Big Bang took place. And the expansion of the universe began. And at that time, all of the physical creation was without form. Because guess what? It was, it, 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 it was pure energy, taken up, becoming physical. And... Um, it was without form. Water wasn't formed yet. We have hydrogen. We have all these, uh, all these substances. But, but not, nothing's taken shape yet. Mm. Right? So the, that was the... Because my opinion is that this is telling us the steps that God takes for the creation of the universe. And it was probably billions of years later that, God, that the earth, that all the planets were formed and, and it was ready for, man, for, for God to, put, to create mankind. So... In verse 3, he says, let there be light, and there was light. That is when the Big Bang took place. And the light that we see in the sky is light that's taken mi probably millions of years for, to, for us to receive. And when you look into space through a telescope, you're looking at the universe the way it looked so many years ago. And as telescopes become better, you know, become more um, refined and, and the... Technology increases. Guess what? We're getting we're getting a better view of the universe to almost to where we can see to the edges of, of the universe, and and the universe had a beginning. Time had a begin beginning. At the same time, there's a spiritual creation taking place. God said, "Let there be light." This light is not the light of the earth or this. No, I'm sorry, the sun. Earth doesn't give light. It's not the light of the moon. It's not the light of the sun. This light is a spiritual light. And who is that light? That light is a person. John 1, 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And, and then it's, it speaks about the light. I'm going to actually turn to John 1 right now. And it says, um, verse 3, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then if you go back to Genesis 1, it says, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And this, this light is the light of God's holy presence. And then God had to hide the light, because not all mankind can bear to see God's light. If you're living in sin, 
Guess what? You cannot, you cannot, God's light cannot penetrate you. But if you repent, if you confess your sins and you repent, guess what? God's light will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. It's the light of God's presence. And then when, when you read in verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. What the, the Gutnik Humash says, the spirit of Mashiach was moving over the face of the waters. Messiah. It's, it's, the scripture shows us, according to the Gutnik Humash, that's one of the rabbinic books I read as well, the Gutnik Humash says that the, the spirit of Messiah. So Jesus is present, the Messiah is present. And it also says that the throne of God's glory hovered over the face of the waters. So God's throne room is not a throne like we see the king, uh, see the king or, and a queen of a country, or you see a king and a queen sitting on a throne in a Hallmark movie. This, king, this throne is a mobile throne. It hovered over the face of the waters. So God's throne, and then when you see the cherubim, the seraphim in, in, in Scripture, you see, the, you see the white throne judgment in Daniel. It, it's, it's, it's not a static throne, it's actually moving. Mm -hmm. And we see, we see all these angelic hosts, we see these giant wheels around the throne room of God. You all, you know, we've all seen this in Isaiah, right? Mm -hmm. It's got these giant wheels and... It's, it's got these, these angelic species with all these faces and all these wings. And I, I heard one prophecy teacher years ago say that, that the, Isaiah was having a rebel, he was seeing, he was seeing a, a helicopter. And I thought that's very creative that he could see a helicopter in this holy visitation from heaven. I mean, and it's, and it's actually kind of funny to, to, to hear these uh, opinions. But he wasn't really understanding that was not what the prophets were seeing. They saw the mobile throne of God. And the wheels within the wheels, those are angelic species, known as the Ophanim, I believe. There were, there were these cherubs that had four faces, but if you, when you go through the rabbinic readings, they actually had 64 faces. 16 faces on each side. Do not try to draw this picture. You can't draw it in, in the. You cannot draw it. You cannot paint it. You can't depict it in the natural because this is a spiritual experience. Only very few in the Bible had these lofty experiences, like Daniel, like Ezekiel, like Isaiah. Very few people in the Bible had these kind had these kind of experiences. And as far as I know, in the earth today, there's no one that can really teach on these holy scriptures. It's so, it's so deep. And when I was reading through uh, one of the art scroll commentaries um, about these angelic species, it had like this, it had this, in the footer on every single page, it said, read this with caution. Because it's so holy. Because you can't perceive these creatures in the natural. You look at the creatures in, with eyes all around them in Revelation, and you picture this ugly monster with eyes all over. If that's the way you're perceiving it, you're missing it because these are, these, are spirit, these are spiritual concepts that can only be spiritually discerned. Some of these angelic species have the ability to see God in dimensions that we cannot perceive God. 
and they perceive God the way He was and the way He is and the way He will be. Some are perceiving the depth of the holiness of God's presence. And every time they receive a new revelation of God's holiness, all they can do is fall on their faces and shout, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, just the holiness of God's presence. And I mean, I can only begin to imagine what it's like in heaven to see with every revelation of God's presence that you're just left with no strength in your body whatsoever or in your spirit, and all you can do is just fall down, prostrate before God, and worship Him because, because He's so awesome. He's so awesome. I, I, I guess tonight's teaching has changed. All I want you to perceive tonight is, I want you to grasp is the holiness in the awe of God's presence. Amen. He's so holy. He's so magnificent. And let's, let's not confine... Yes, let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Because we always try to bring God down to our level. Yes. We always try, and, and, and of course, when I'm teaching, that's, that's the challenge I have, is to take concepts that I've learned and break them down to where everybody can understand them. Because my goal is, even if a five-year-old child is sitting in this room, I should be able to explain the Word of God to a five-year-old child, as well as someone that's over 80, 90 years old. Right? And so, so we, we, we need to learn how to articulate God's word. But tonight, I, I really want you to grasp the concept that the Bible is not dead history. It's the blueprint of all creation. Amen? And we are living in the sixth day of creation in the year 5779, 5,779 years since the creation of Adam and Eve. And, and when, when Messiah returns... He will usher in, actually, you know what? What I told you earlier was wrong. I made a mistake. When, when he returns, he will usher in the, he will usher in the, the, the next millennium, the, 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 the 6,000. So five-sevenths from year zero all the way to 999 is the first millennium. From 1,000 to 1999, that's the second millennium. Then, the, then going on to where we are now, the sixth millennia, we're in the 5779. And when Christ returns, that's the seventh millennium, right? Mm -hmm. So I, what I shared earlier was, I, 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 when I said it, I realized that, that doesn't sound quite right. Mm -hmm. So Lord, I thank you for correcting me in, in, the, in that. And mankind's history from the lenses of Torah is broken into, two, into three periods. The first 2,000 years relate to verse 2 of Genesis 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. For the first 2,000 years of man's existence, who was preaching the Torah? The answer is no one. It was passed down from, you know, from generation to generation, but it wasn't, it wasn't openly preached. So those were the years of void and formlessness. So the first 2,000 years of mankind's existence, after the fall, after... Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, were, year, were 2,000 years of void. Even, and, and then, the, when Adam came on, not Adam, when Abram came on the scene, Abram was born in the year 1948. 1,948 years since the creation of Adam and Eve. And, that, and when, Ad, when, when Abram grew up, he and his wife, Sarai, began converting souls. They began openly preaching monotheism. They taught that God is one, and they were, they were introducing the world to Hashem. The, they were introducing everyone to, 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 to the God of the Bible, even before we had a Bible. 
And th that next 2,000 years was when the word was being preached. The third period of human history, I believe, began when Jesus came 2,000 years ago. So the first 2,000 years were formlessness and void. The second 2,000 years are the years of, of, the, of the Torah, of the word being preached. The third 2,000 year period, the, the period that we're living in right now, began when Jesus was born, when Messiah came. And that, second 2000, that third 2,000 year period will come to an end when Messiah returns, when Jesus returns. Amen? And he establishes his reign on the earth. And then in addition, because Israel is the apple of God's eye, and the way we measure the times is by looking at what's happening with the Jewish people. Right? Israel, be, I mean, w when was Israel's anniversary? It was just a couple days ago, right? Celebrating the anniversary, uh, they became a nation again in 1948 AD. It's not a coincidence that Abram was born 1948 after the creation, uh, since the creation of Adam and Eve. There's no coincidence whatsoever in, in the Word of God. And God is holy. Mm -hmm. and, and I want you to see Genesis 1 as a parable. Because there, there are so many levels to understanding it. I encourage you all, don't spend time asking what happened between Genesis 1-1 one, one, and 1-2. One, it doesn't, it, I don't think it really matters. We can take scriptures here and there and, 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 put, a, and put our own story together. But the more I study it, and even last night after I got home, I was studying it. It's, just, it's my opinion that Moses wasn't telling us that something took place between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Genesis 1-2 is just take, telling us the progression of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Amen. And what, what Moses is also teaching us is about your formation. Because mankind, male and female, you are both spirit and flesh, Right? You, 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 you have a human soul. God breathed the Spirit into you. And He's saying, let there be light. Well, guess what? When you receive Christ, when you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, His Spirit came to live inside of you. And God the Holy Spirit came in, in, into you. Amen? And the light was in, came into you. And it's, and it's talking about the perfecting of your soul as well. In, as I close here... In Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we see the institution of the Hebrew calendar. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Before God could deliver the Israelites from Egyptian exile, He had to give them a commandment, and that commandment was to establish the biblical calendar. Because in the biblical calendar is your destiny. It's in, and it's in the biblical feast that, that every breakthrough will take place in your life. If you, look at the, if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus was crucified during the feast of Passover. If you go back to Egypt during the, ex, the exile of the Jewish people, get on the first day of Passover in the first month, Moses commanded the Israelites to, to kill a lamb and strike the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their, of their homes. Yeah. 2,000 years ago, Jesus' blood was struck upon the doorpost of the cross. Both events occurred during Passover. 
Amen? On the second day of Passover, and Passover occurred in the first month of the Hebrew calendar, the month of Nisan, on the, on the second day of Passover, Nisan 15, the, the Jews exited Egypt and they began a 50-day journey to Sinai. They arrived at Sinai on the first day of the third month, which is Sivan, and on the sixth day, God came down upon Mount Sinai and delivered the Ten Commandments. Right? That was 50 days starting with the, the day they left Egypt. Now let's look at Jesus. Let's scroll forward into the future. 2,000 years ago for us. Jesus was, was crucified and resurrected during the Feast of Passover. Upon Jesus' resurrection, he walked in the earth for 40 days. On the 40th day was Ascension Sunday. Jesus ascended to heaven. Then before he ascended, he told his disciples, tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from upon high. So for those next 10 days, they assembled in the upper room. And on the 50th day is Pentecost, and the Spirit of God descended into the upper room with cloven tongues of fire, and the, and the 120 began to speak in other tongues. And what took place? Because the day of Pentecost, meaning 50th, is the very same day in which God delivered the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. The very same day. How many people were assembled in the upper room? 120. How many crowns were given to the Jews at Mount Sinai on Shavuot, the first Pentecost? 120,000 crowns. And every time God spoke, it was like a, the fires proceeded and these flames circled the camp. At Pentecost in the upper room, it, the Spirit of God descended like cloven tongues of fire and these cloven tongues of fire flew all over the room and descended upon each person in that room. We see fires in, we, well, we saw a fire outside, literally. We saw a fire at Mount Sinai. We saw all these fires at Mount Sinai, and we see fires at Pentecost. And God delivered the Ten Commandments on the third day. The third day is so holy. It is, it is so holy. The third day speaks about resurrection. The, th the, the number three represents, uh, in, addition to rep in addition to resurrection, it represents on the third day God delivered the Torah to the Israelites. The third day represents, Aaron, uh, represents Moses being the third son of his parents, because it, it was Aaron, Miriam, and, uh, and Moses, the thirdborn. The, the, the Tanakh, Genesis through Malachi, is broken into three compartments. Torah, the first five books, Nebuim, the books of prophecy, and Ketuvim, the, the books of the writings. Three compartments. There's so many threes in, in the Bible. The, the Israelites are a threefold people, consisting of Kohanim, which are the priesthood, the Levites, and the Israelites. Three degrees of holiness, the Kohanim being at the most intimate level. Moses being the third-born child of Amran and Yochebed. And the Torah was delivered on the third, uh, the third month. The Torah is associated with the number three. And when we speak about the Holy Trinity, it's associated with the number three. Amen? Amen. And in Exodus 19.17, I'm going to read this to you from the, from, the, from the Jewish Bible. Moses brought the people out toward God from the camp, and they stood at the bottom of the mountain. Can you say it with me? And we're just going to wrap up in just a moment. No problem at all, Sister Pat. God overturned the mountain. So God brought the people out from the camp. 
and they stood at the bottom of the mountain. Now, if you were told to stand at the bottom of the mountain, what would you do? At the foot of the mountain, you maybe is that what what you think? If I, if if you were to ask a child to stand at the bottom of the mountain, what would that child think? I want you to be very literal in what I just read. They stood at the bottom of the mountain. I'm sorry. What's go oh, actually, a very good point. The child would ask, what's going on at the top? Yeah. Well, they literally stood at the bottom of the mountain. God overturned the mountain, lifted it up off the ground, turned it upside down, and it was a wedding canopy over the Israelites. They literally stood underneath the mountain. And then God and, and then God, God descended upon Mount Sinai to the peak of the mountain, and, and, and God spoke. And it says, when, when God delivered the Torah on the third day, 60,000, according to the Talmud, Shabbat, Shabbat 88b, 60,000 angels came down upon Mount Sinai with two crowns each. 120,000 crowns were given to the Jewish people. In par paralleling Pentecost, where 120 people were assembled in that room. The Psalms tells us there were 22,000 plus, 22, plus thousands of angels present. There were 22,000 chariots of angels on Mount Sinai, relating to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Next week, I'll talk to you about the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And the Israelites said, we will hear, and we will see, and we will obey. And when God spoke, they could see the sounds. What does that mean to us? We can't even begin to comprehend what happened there. Because they were lifted to a level of prophecy, to such a high level of prophecy, to where they could see the sounds. They could see the sounds. And the rabbis tell us, that the Israelites, the Jewish people, had ascended to a level of prophecy, to a level of Kedusha, or holiness, that was even higher than Adam and Eve in the garden. They had a taste of what it would be like to live at that level. When Messiah returns, I believe we're all going to experience that, that level of prophecy. That's what you have to look forward to. And I believe the degrees of holy, the degrees of gifts that you're going to have is all determined upon your commitment to God. That Israel said, "We will hear and we 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 will obey." Mm -hmm. And I encourage every one of you just to lay and I ask you right right now that we all accept God's word as absolute truth. We accept His will in the earth. Yeah. We are earnestly expecting the coming of Messiah. Whether you believe He's come before or not. I want you all to earnestly expect the Messiah to come. Come, Messiah. God is holy. And He's calling a people to Himself that are holy. The original, the original plan of God was that Israel would be a, a nation of kings and priests to the entire world. But as a result of the sin of the golden calf, 
God limited the priesthood to a family of the sons of Aaron. Aaron and his sons. Just a subset of the, Levit of the Levitical tribe. But God's original plan was the entire nation would be a nation of kings and priests. And that will take place in, in the future. What does Paul say? That, why do you take one another to court? When you, you know, why do you take one another to a Gentile court knowing that in the, in, in the future you're going you're gonna to even judge angels? See, that's a place where God's bringing us to is that we're going to even be judging angels. Because we always see angels as this species of creation that's so holy, and of course they are so holy. But when God created, God created the species of mankind to be a, 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 to be a type of creation that has the ability to ascend to infinite spiritual heights and to descend to infinite spiritual lows. Because God has given us free will. So you can be as evil, as wicked as you want. You can choose to be a murderer, a drunkard, or whatever. Or you can choose to be, live a person, a, a, a holy life. And, so, and only mankind is created with, 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 with that ability. It's actually a blessing and a curse in one because, because you, know, there's no, you can choose to do, you know, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they came out at the, they, they were, in Egypt, they descended down to the 49th level of depravity. 50th was total depravity. Mm -hmm. And on the 49-day journey to Mount Sinai, they, ascend, they ascended to uh, one level from the top. And uh, on the 50th day, they ascended to the highest level of holiness. And that is at the moment where they could see the voices. They had ascended to such spiritual heights. Wow. So I encourage all of you, don't limit God during this season. Allow God to be God in your life and allow God to take you to heights you've never known before. And don't limit God only to what takes place in church. I, want, I, I encourage all of you to expect God to move in your natural lives as well. In the way you raise your kids, in your relationships with one another, in your ministries, in your businesses, in all that you do in, in, in your secular life is allow God to be part of it because God, God is more willing to speak to you than you are to receive his word. But, I mean, has, he's so holy. If you're struggling in marriage, allow God to, to be part of that marriage and allow him, allow him to be part of the solution. Because God is not someone that's 50 billion miles away. We treat God like he's that far away. But God is right here with us. Amen? And if you receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, he lives right inside of you because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I'm going to invite you all to stand. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord God, tonight for your holy word that you've given us tonight. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that you are, you are teaching us to see the world through the lenses of the Torah. Lord, you are so holy, you are so good, and we thank you, Lord God, for your mercy tonight. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.